to start, we'll just have you tell us your full name and where we are right now. And whenever you're ready. Okay. I'm Carolyn Obrick Houchen. Um, my full name is Kimberly Anderson Stitt. Maurice Powers in Savannah, Georgia. I'm S.R. Banks from Rochester, New York. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vlashuk. My name is Sharina Zayed, and we are in Slavic Village. Colton Clay, and we're in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado. And I'm Adam Scher with the Nomadic Photo Arc. This is Portrait of Us, a living, transforming, and growing collection of people's stories from throughout the United States. Today we'll hear from two different people, one from Cleveland, Ohio, and one from right here in Central Florida. They're both sharing stories of not only overcoming things in their lives, but putting in the work to move past the racial prejudices and biases that they grew up with. First up, we will hear from Kim in Cleveland, Ohio. A quick heads up that this story does contain themes of drug use and sexual assault. I was only used to one culture. And as time went on, everything changes and started getting introduced to other cultures. And in the beginning, I wasn't real happy about it. But then I started meeting people who were just like me, you know, that experienced things that I experienced. Um, my full name is Kimberly Anderson Stitt. And we are in the Northeast Broadway neighborhood. I grew up fast. Uh, my mom was a single mother of two. And she worked a lot, so we pretty much had to take care of ourselves. Um, as far as what happened to me, I was a drug addict um, for about five or six years. And in 1993, I woke up one day and I looked in the mirror even though I was a functioning addict working, I was tired. I was tired of the lifestyle. And I looked in the mirror and I said, I didn't like who I seen. So at that point in time, I changed my life. It's like I, I grew a new brain because I started craving everything I could find out about anything and everything. How the world was created, how does a tree grow, just anything and everything. And gardening became my number one thing. It brings pleasure, excitement to watch them grow and nourish. Um, I can my vegetables. To be able to eat what you grow gives you a sense of accomplishment. To nurture a plant that, that was a baby, to nurture it from this big to that big, it's gratifying because you know you're the one feeding it and nurturing it. it gives me pleasure. Um, about a year ago, we had a bad groundhog problem. And I seen a bunch of people in the playground over here at the school. I thought, what are they doing? You know. And so I went over and I asked and they was handing out cages to, to, to trap and release. So at that point in time, they gave me information on the, this group they have every Thursday, and I was like, oh, okay, so let me try this out. So I did, and I met some awesome people, I mean, just beautiful people. I started getting involved with the community and helping out where I could, and I love it. It was also a place to go, to get away from the house, meet new people, 
get together for coffee, cookouts, what have you. And then I was learning about all these resources, Slavic, develop, Slavic Village Development, and the resources that are available to everyone. And I thought, well, now that I know, why not? Let's let everybody know. Because there's so many people that need things and can't get no help. Yeah. So it worked out great. You touched on super quickly just that learning to be accepting of different cultures and different folks. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go back to uh, when I was a teenager. I was going to uh, babysit my mom's uh, lady friend, her kids. And um, it was daylight, and I was snatched off the street by gunpoint by an African-American man. And he had raped me, and so for many years I... I didn't want no part of black people, period. I wanted nothing to do with them. I thought they were all evil, cruel, nasty people. I, I just did. That's, I'm being honest. I just thought they were the most horrible people in the world. I didn't talk about it. I didn't want to remember it. I didn't want to deal with it. And I wouldn't have nothing to do with any other color, any other race, because of it. The past 10 years, I started opening up a little bit more. I think what caused that was interracial relationships. Um, family members getting with the opposite color. I always thought white stayed with white, Chinese with Chinese, and so on and so forth. So then I started broadening my, my brain a little bit. And I had to deal with that hurt that I suffered. I had to kind of like put it back here because not all people are like that. It could have been a white guy, you know, and I had to come to terms with that fact. They're just like me. People say, how can you, some people say, how can you forget what happened I didn't forget I just learned how to deal with it and know that all people aren't like that that's something that's individualized you know not all people are cruel I've been through a lot of hurt in my life and for a long time I shut down I just totally shut down I didn't want to feel it I didn't want to deal with it and once I got off the drugs, I was able to start turning my life around and work through things that had happened and horrible things that had happened. And, and I did. And some people experience those things, some, some don't. But I think the more that's put on your plate, the stronger it makes you. You come out the other, some people come out the other side a better person. And I think that's what happened to me. I truly do. That was Kim from Cleveland, Ohio. And I think she gave us one of the biggest compliments that you can. When we were done and we played her her piece of audio, she was so proud of it because she wants her story and her message to be heard by as many people as possible. And that's really quite similar to the man we're going to hear from next who lives in Eatonville, Florida. Eatonville is the oldest black incorporated municipality in the states. 
We met him in Catalina Park, the neighborhood in Eatonville where he's lived for his whole adult life, and he shared some fairly intense stories about what it was like to grow up black in Central Florida. As a content warning for Millard's story, there are racial slurs. You know, then that's not supposed to be talked about. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah, we don't ask much about that. We don't worry so. about we don't. I don't do kiss and tell, but I'll be open and honest about my life. You know, if you got questions you want to ask, Perfect. that helps too. My full name is Millard Fillmore Levat Jr. Came home from the hospital to this neighborhood, Catalina Park, in Eatonville. Eatonville is the oldest black incorporated town in the United States. There are a couple of other towns that's a little older than Eatonville, but they weren't incorporated. Every day that we're like this is, is creating history. Eatonville is a historic institution. When you start talking about things that impacted your life, I can go all the way back from when I was a kid, leaving Head Start, getting ready to go to elementary school. Florida and the state of Arkansas were two of the last states to start doing the integration. So by the time I make it to first grade, it's 1973. And of course, you don't mind if I be totally frank and transparent, no, no. right? Yes, yeah. Okay, so before I ever really went off to school, the conversations in my home went like this. This cracker at school called me a We called him in the bathroom and beat him up. Did you see what this cracker called him? This cracker slapped him and spit on him, and he didn't do anything. So when we caught him, we beat his ass. These are the kind of conversations. So later in life, and I brought that up because later in life, it helped me to understand where prejudices and bigotry and hatred come from. We're not born this way. We're taught, and we're victims of society. So basically what I'm saying is before I ever even knew any white people, I guess you could say I was taught to hate them. It directly affects who I am now and what I've learned throughout life. Somewhere around about 27 years old, I was taught that in order to be a really great salesman, I was going to have to be a really great man. To be a great man, you can't hate people. Especially because of the color of their skin. Because I faced extreme racism growing up, it went with me through part of my adult life. But once I learned to communicate effectively with all cultures, I became instantly more successful. In May of 2000, I'm sorry, May of 1995, I left my home here in, in, in Eatonville and drove clear to Tampa 
because I was upset and angry with my girlfriend. I heard a guy in the background of her apartment, and she hung up the phone on me. And I said, oh, she thinks because I'm in Eatonville and she's in Tampa, she can do this. So I drove clear over to Tampa, kicked the door off the hinges, and so the Hillsborough County Police came and taught me a valuable lesson. That means stay your ass home. <laughs> but by the time I went to court, the judge realized that it was more just me being a kind of a jealous and angry boyfriend. So, you know, I got put on probation for 15 years because they couldn't let me go scot-free because I was a convicted felon. So, that happened in 1995, and I was doing really well in the two arts, 2004, 2005. I had made a commitment with my distributor where I was selling water filtration equipment at the time to be committed that year, 2005, but my living arrangements weren't exactly what I should be because I was already a convicted felon on probation. And the police came to, SWAT team came to my house on investigation for someone else, but I was there, I had marijuana in my room, a couple of dime bags, and I ended up doing four years in prison. In the first year of prison, I'm there and I'm wearing the cheap shoes and I get a blister on my foot and my foot gets infected with a bone infection called osteomyelitis. They moved me from prison to prison to prison to prison. I was miserable for over a year. Finally, down in Miami, I got this infection called MRSA. And looking at my ankle and considering what my options were, how many surgeries I had, I went to see the orthopedic and I said, take it off. He looked at me in astonishment, bewildered. I said, take it off. He said, okay. So I had the surgery and I had my leg amputated. My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, I'll take care of you. I'll always take care of you. So I went with it. From that point on, I never was upset, never sad about it. They gave me something close to a prosthetic while I was in prison. They at least allowed me to walk around and exercise and do things. So from the first day I put it on, I walked. Several years later, I'm out, and my left foot started to go through the same process. So I fought for about two years wearing all kinds of different braces and boots and surgeries to save them. I was like, this is my last ankle. i got to save it. But my doctor then was Dr. Jason Luttrell. He said, well, I can reconstruct your ankle for you. I said, well, first, how long would I be down? He said, about six to eight months. I said, is it guaranteed to work? He says, no, it's not a guarantee. So I said, take it off. He said, huh? I said, take it off. Hell, I already got one. I know how to live with that one. How much harder could it be with two? Which I wasn't, didn't know, but again, I prayed about it. 
And that was just an act of faith on my part. So now, I'm a bilateral amputee. And I brought that story up because losing my legs made me a better man than I ever was. Somewhere in my life, I probably used to laugh at people that didn't have limbs or certain disabilities or infirmities that they were going through. But when you go through a certain amount of adversities yourself, you got a choice because it's not about what happens to you, it's about how you handle what happens to you. We initially met Millard while he was working at the Zora Neale Hurston Museum. And so I asked him what it was like to share that history with members of the black community when they came in. For me, how does it make me feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, exuberant. I'm filled with euphoria. Because you want to know the biggest problem with black history? Not enough black people know about it. I am convinced one of the reasons that I am the man I am. My mom and my dad divorced when I was about six or seven. But my dad fought for his custody rights had my sister and I every weekend. Knowing him and knowing my paternal side of the family, what went on, knowing my mom, how she raised us, knowing her mom, her dad, in the history, I feel powerful because I know it. And not a lot of people know where they came from. And not a lot of people know where they're going. But because of that, I know my history. And to see that particular exhibit, which is incredible, the guy who did it, John Jennings, it's pretty incredible. And I love explaining the the Marvel comic characters and you know the similarity between what they're doing and how it's about the struggle of any culture that was suppressed. Jewish, the Oriental back in the days when they worked for only opium. black slaves, anybody can look at that art exhibit and come away feeling empowered. And uh, I turned down some part-time jobs that were paying me quite a bit more money, but it wasn't, it can't compare to the people that I meet that come through in and out those doors. Millard had mentioned a few times about starting up his own podcast, so I asked him what that would be about and what kind of stories he would share. What, what, kind of, what, what were you looking to share? Okay, check it out, like for instance. Okay, this is Catalina Park. Picture 1977. Were you born there? Okay, you can't picture <laughs> I got friends, Toski, Vinny, Horace, Dennis, all of us were bused to Lake Weston Elementary School. If nobody parent can come pick them up, we all walked home together from their school in a group. You can't see it, but right on the other side of all of those woods is a neighborhood called Kingswood Manor. 
which was a predominantly white neighborhood. It's about five of us walking home from Greywire football practice. Instead of going down Forest City Road, coming up Kennedy, the long way we decided we would walk through the neighborhood and get home faster. It take only about 10 minutes to come from that way. We decided to shortcut. We get about three quarters of the way home and we see a tall white man with a double barrel shotgun and Great Dane dogs. The dogs were about taller than we were at the time. What are you doing in this area? All of us are shaking. The bravest of us all was Toski. We on our way home, Cracker. You got five seconds to run or I'm gonna kill you. We drop all our school books, we start running. We get a good start on him, maybe a good 200 yards, 150, 200 yards, he lets the dogs go. Now we're being chased by these dogs. Man, we couldn't have been no more than 10 years old. We running. The dogs are still coming. All because we was black. We just want to play football. We get home, we tell some of the older guys in the neighborhood about it, describe the man, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Because in this town, we didn't roll over. They were not going to stand for us being abused like that. Go to Lockhart Middle School, Junior High School. Rednecks. The guys didn't even wear sneakers in gym class. They they played they played soccer and football out there in their damn cowboy boots. <laughs> and it's two biggest two big two of the biggest white guys I'd ever seen in my life. I, I, I don't know. I could call can I call their name? I remember. I never forgot their name. Buddy Fuller and Mark Spice. I'm at the water fountain drinking water in the seventh grade. They pushed me off, they pushed me down. I'm only weighing about 90 pounds. I was, not, I was a little kid, skinny. One of them grabbed my backpack off me and threw my backpack down the hall. I ran and picked up my backpack and cried and cried and ran and got on the bus. Everybody wanted to know what happened, what happened. So don't worry about it. I'm going to go home and tell my brother Kelvin Joyner. Him and about four or five of his friends, that was twice the size of those guys. My brother looked like a grown man when he was 16. But they came out to Lockhart and walked the halls, and once they found out who my brother was, those guys came and apologized to me and never bothered me ever again. Now, those are some of the things that happened to me because of me being black and racism. But on the flip side, it's a guy in class in the fifth grade. He ain't done nothing to me. He just was a white boy. He was just sitting at his desk. I didn't particularly care how he looked, so I just hauled off and hit it for no reason. Just bullying. He's sitting there with tears coming out of his eyes, crying. I don't care. My mentality was, fuck this cracker. That's how I had been taught. 
But the teacher didn't like what I did. She was a black teacher, Miss Kelly. So she said, well, hit him back. And he looked and she said, hit him back. And she told me, she said, you better not do nothing to him either. He hit me and hit me hard. I said, ah, damn. Tears came out of my eyes too. For two reasons. Number one, it hit her. Secondly, I was just so mad. But when I look back, I had no business putting my hand on that man. When I look back, I had no business going down to Tampa. I made those choices. Not anybody else. See, one of the best ways to get over any problem in life is to hold yourself accountable. These are your decisions. You made them. Losing my legs. It wasn't my fault because I had this inherited disease. But it was my problem. If it's my problem, what I'm going to do? I'm going to look for a solution. I decided to climb up the rough side of the mountain. You know why? Because at least you got something to hold on to. If you climb up the smooth side of the mountain, you slide your ass right back down. So you have to climb up the rough side of the mountain sometimes. But the best part about it is the view is better from the top. I used to say when I was young, why in the hell would anybody want to climb a mountain, Mount Everest? And what is that? I have never climbed Mount Everest, but I'm climbing a mountain each and every day. I look forward to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Portrait of Us podcast. For more information, you can visit nomadicphotoarch.com or subscribe to our newsletter, portraitofus.substack.com. We just released our first digital zine, focusing on portraits and stories from our time at Monroe Community College in Rochester, New York. It's available now on our Patreon, patreon.com slash nomadicphotoarch, or to paid subscribers on our Substack. Choices. Thoughts. Zig Ziglar said you have to watch your thoughts because your thoughts become your words. You have to watch your words because your words become your actions. You have to watch your actions because your actions become your hobbies, your habits, your way of life.